you're cutting yourself short. There's money out there. There is. There's success out there. You just got to go grab it by the horns and chase after it, right? Welcome to the House Hacking Success Podcast, where you'll learn the path to free rent and financial freedom through real estate. Featuring your hosts, Brad Labrie and Drew Klingler. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning into the podcast. So excited you're here. Real quick, before we start the show, if you want to download the House Hacking Blueprint Guide, it's going to show you everything you need to know about house hacking so you can get started right away. Go to the link in our description of the podcast show, or you can text house hack all one word to 22828. Text house hack all one word to 22828, or go to the link in the podcast description, and I'll send you a copy of the House Hacking Blueprint Guide completely free. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to House Hacking Success. Today, we have a good friend of mine, Mike Rath, with me. We call him Tax-Free Mike. Mike, we appreciate you joining. Thanks for having me. Drew, it's good to see you again as well. Mike is actually a personal friend of mine, and he also is a financial advisor of mine. Largely, what we're going to cover is a little bit of macroeconomics and what we're headed towards. We're going to talk about what Mike sees, but we're also going to talk about tax-free strategies. Mike implements for me and uh, things that I'm personally involved with, but then just things that he advises his clients on and ways to ultimately pay less taxes and build more wealth for you and your family and and, uh, those around you. That's the theme of the show. Mike, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I'm excited to talk a little bit more about macroeconomics that a lot of people are uh, trying to navigate and outsmart when it comes to the Federal Reserve. Like, what are they going to do? What's the economy going to do? And of course, anytime you make money, the government wants a slice of it. What can we do to mitigate mitigate the impact of taxation as much as possible. It's probably the primary drain on our wealth outside of volatility and inflation, our our taxes. For sure. So on this show, we talk about house hacking. And the beautiful thing about house hacking is regardless of macroeconomics and what's going on around us, largely house hacking is a great way to hedge from whether it's inflation or whether it's going into a recession or whatever the economics of the time is doing. Largely, house hacking allows people to weather those type of storms. But let's dive into just your view. We just got the Q2 numbers from the Atlanta Fed, and and it looks like we are, in fact, in a recession. We'll get official confirmation later this summer. But I mean, regardless, we're trending in a difficult situation. People are getting uh, just pinched with inflation and whether it's real estate, whether it's gas, just literally everything. The cost of the cost of living is uh, dramatically up. What do you see where we're headed and how difficult are are the times that are coming going to be? I definitely think for sure, either this year, next year, I would be surprised. But um, I think for sure this year, they'll officially recognize that we're in a recession At that point, it's only a matter of how severe and how intense it's going to be. Kind of interesting because, I mean, people have been saying this for a long time. Oh, this time it's different. They can't just keep printing money because this time it's different. I mean, they've been saying that for the last 20, 30 odd years, but not to you know beat a dead horse. I mean, this time it is kind of different because traditionally what the Federal Reserve does when we go into a recession is they stimulate the economy, right? Um, Well, what is stimulating the economy? Well, it's lowering interest rates, injecting liquidity into the economy, which means more money going into the economy to increase demand and higher demand means higher consumption. Higher consumption means higher GDP, which means no more recession. Well, the problem with that is whenever the Federal Reserve stimulates the economy and they're putting more cash into the economy, you have um, higher pressures on inflation. And historically, that hasn't really been a horrible problem the last 15, 20 years that hasn't really resulted in rising prices. Um, So they've been able to get away with it. And it's been able to work for the last 20 odd years without having having a dramatic impact on the price level. Well, this time it is different because that is happening right now. So the conventional method of fighting the recession to turn the economy around, they kind of can't do that because if they lower interest rates and stimulate the economy, when we already have like 9% inflation, it's not really going to help because with inflation that high, it's tapping out the consumer 
and pushing the economy into re- inflation is causing the recession. If you are basically having a fire and you're just dumping gasoline on it and making the fire bigger, how are you going to fight the recession and reverse the declining economy when that is only going to make the inflation problem worse and tap the consumer out even more? So this time, I don't know how bad it's going to be, but this time I do think it's different because the traditional playbook is not going to solve the problem. So it's kind of like they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. If they don't do anything, the inflation is going to push the economy into recession by itself. If they continue to raise interest rates, they're going to push the economy into recession because they're tapping out um, credit. And credit is a big part of growing the economy. And if people can't afford to borrow, they can't afford to invest and expand their businesses, buy real estate, all that good stuff. So I don't think there's really any way around a, a recession. And I think the recession will probably last a little bit longer than it traditionally does because the cookie cutter strategies, they're just not going to fix the problem. There's not really any way around that. It almost sounds like printing money and trying to stimulate the economy just ends up delaying the inevitable, right? Right. So if there's a recession coming and they're trying to put it off by stimulating the economy, it seems like you're just saving it for later and pushing it down the road. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what they've been able to get away with because they can inflate these bubbles. And again, like it's worked so well the last several years because all that inflation, because really what is inflation? And that's where there's a lot of confusion and muddy, muddy water, disinformation, and just outright lying uh, on the part of our experts who are supposed to control all this stuff for us. Well, they'll say, well, inflation, our our price is going up. That's not true. Inflation is not prices going up. Prices going up is an effect of inflation. Inflation is an expansion of the money supply. So by definition, when the Federal Reserve increases the money supply, that is inflation. It takes time for the prices to go up after the Federal Reserve prints money because it has to circulate throughout the economy. Well, a lot of the inflation in the past, in the 2000.com bubble and the 2008 financial crisis has been concentrated in financials like stocks, mutual funds, real estate, assets. Well, now that inflation is filtering into consumer goods, which is causing the general price level to go up, like kicking the can down the road worked as long as that expansion was concentrated in financials because people, they like when their stock portfolio goes up and their home value goes up. They like that, but they don't like when their bill at the grocery store goes up. And that's kind of where we're at now. Like you're about kicking the can down the road. I mean, there's only so much road and you can only do so much kicking before you're at the end of the road. And it's like, okay, now what do we do? For sure. A lot of the people, a lot of the listeners to this show, they either understand or starting to comprehend the idea behind real estate and a hedge against inflation. So over the last few years, I've bought over 4 million in real estate. And the idea being that if you bought, let's just say a couple of years ago, you're continually paying back with cheaper and cheaper dollars as your as your asset grows. And we're right. not necessarily saying that if you buy today, that in 2024, 25, your asset's going to be higher. But by 2035, 2040, you're assured that real estate is going to be a higher valuation than it is today. And it's the same kind of thing, right? That you're hedging against it. You're putting a low percentage down. The bank's taking 80% or more of the risk, sharing the risk with you. You're getting the reward. And they understand that with real estate. The idea and the main reason why I wanted to bring you on here is really share some of the principles that you've instilled in my business beyond just real estate. Obviously, you and I enjoy real estate estate, uh, understand the benefits of real estate. But the idea of setting yourself up, and especially if you're set, you know, trying to be financially free at an earlier age, like Drew and I are, setting yourself up outside of the 401k system, outside of the pension system, and being somebody that is not just solely reliant on real estate, but doing it in a tax-free way. So introduce us a little bit to the ideas that you've introduced me to. I'll talk about my personal experience and why I've bought into the idea and fully support of what you do. But kind of introduce those listening to some of the principles you teach and and what you ultimately help them do. Yeah, definitely. My main focus is with infinite banking, becoming your own bank and to break free from uh, Wall Street and the banking cartel that basically has a a monopoly on the average American's money at the best interests of them and the IRS rather than the average individual. Um, So like infinite banking, becoming your own bank, there's a particular financial product that is able to do that very, very well. And that's a carefully 
designed cash value life insurance policy. And the idea is that we're overfunding this policy. We're putting as much cash into it as we possibly can with a very small death benefit because we're not really doing it for the life insurance. We're doing it for the tax benefits. We're doing it for the the tax-free growth on your money and also the liquidity because unlike a 401k or an IRA, you're able to access up to 90% of your money at any given time from that life insurance contract without any tax implications. So like with a 401k, if you want to invest in real estate or or you want to break free from the corporate nine to five grind, you can take your money out, but you're going to have to pay taxes and penalties on it. And if you want to borrow against it, you can do that too, but you're only able to access up to 50% or $50,000, whichever one is smaller. So if you have, you know, two, three, 400, 500,000 in your 401k, well, the most you can get is five is 50,000. That's not really going to stretch very far if you're trying to become a real estate investor and become financially free. Now, if you had, you know, two, three, four, 500,000 in cash value in a life insurance contract, you could take 90% of that and put it into some properties. And maybe you could get two or three properties all in one fell swoop because you're you're able to get so much more cash instead of getting one property as if you had a 401k. So you can it can snowball so much faster because again, with real estate, the main thing is you want to have access to money. Like what good is 500k in a 401k if you really can't get to it? It's not really going to serve you to help expand your real estate portfolio. We try to stuff as much money into these life insurance contracts as we can. And instead of uh, relying on the banks, um, which is nice because the whole uh, idea is using other people's money, right? You want to tie up as little of your own money in a deal as you possibly can. Because like you just mentioned, you're putting like the majority of that risk is on that institution that's giving you that money. If you fail as a real estate investor, they take a bath on it and they have to eat that as a loss. So if you tie up as little of your own money in a deal, again, maybe instead of getting one property, you could get three or four. Well, that's what the life insurance is used for. It's again, using other people's money. Because when you access the cash value inside the policy, you're never actually taking the money out. You're using it like your own family bank. And this is what the Rockefellers did with Standard Oil. This is how Walt Disney started Disneyland. This is how Ray Kroc started McDonald's. This is how JCPenney made payroll for JCPenney during the Great Depression when they when no one was buying anything. So the wealthy have been using this strategy for you know over 100 years. And it's a tried and proven financial concept. It's not something that I just made up. So you borrow against the policy and you use the life insurance company's money to finance that real estate investment. And then instead of paying that money back to the bank or recapitalizing your own savings account and having to constantly fill your tank and drain your tank, fill your tank and drain your tank, you're in a never ending cycle of earning compound interest on your money because that cash value never leaves the policy. You continue to earn interest and dividends on that from the insurance company. Meanwhile, you get the benefit of being able to use your money right here, right now, completely tax-free outside of the IRS's radar, outside of Wall Street, and you have full control over how long you want to repay it, if you even want to repay it, and when you want to access that money. There's no arbitrary line in the sand, like with a 401k at age 59 and a half. I mean, you can be you know 35 years old or 40 years old and borrow 90% of your money and get a property, and no, no one can tell you that you can't do that. So that's kind of how uh, my stuff kind of crosses over into real estate investing, because I have a lot of clients who use their policy exactly for that. Yeah. And again, um, a lot of the concepts that appeal to me, and we'll talk about this because we talked a little bit before we got on here was number one, it is like a, a savings account, right? It is your own bank account. So number one, you're piling money into a savings account, which is a, a great concept anyway, for any kind of entrepreneur to have liquid cash to be able to facilitate whatever it is that you're doing, especially if you're an, a real estate investor, especially if you have any kind of a, a structure in your organization where you're doing multiple properties at a time, your payroll and the cost of doing business is high. So you want to have a savings account to help you do that. You have banks and private lenders that'll help you facilitate the day-to-day. But what really appealed to me personally was the end game. The fact that you're pulling all that money out tax-free when you get that value. Because for anyone like the three of us that are building well slowly, the idea is in 20 years, we might have 10 or 20 or 30 or $50 million net worth just in real estate. And if you have that kind of income and net worth, you're obviously going to be taxed at a higher rate. So if you put money 
money into a 401k, you're going to get hit with taxes on that, right? And and the difference, and you helped explain this to me as well, is if you do a Roth IRA, you're capped with the amount of money you can put in per year. Right. When you go through this policy, you can create as many policies as you'd like. Mike can help. And that's the idea of bringing Mike on here is Mike can help anyone throughout the entire country, but you can set up as many policies as you want, unlike an IRA, Roth IRA. And what is the income limit? I'm, I'm drawing up. What is the uh, cap? Yeah, there's a cap. Like if you're under 50, the contribution cap is 6,000 a year. That's, I thought that was it. Yeah. Yeah. But there is an income limit too. If you're single, you can't make more than 150,000 a year. Well, if you're an aspiring investor that wants to become financially free, I guarantee you, you're going to make more than 150,000 a year. Sure. Um, and then if you're married, you can't make more than like 210 or 212,000. Well, again, if you're married and you're an aspiring investor, a real estate investor, where you're going to have a handful of rental properties, your income is going to be well within that range. Well, you you may want to add money to a Roth IRA, but your income on paper still um, may, may exceed that threshold. And the other thing about that too, is not to go off on a tangent here, but uh, just a couple quick points is the government can change that whenever they want. Cause it's, it's called all of those accounts, IRAs, Roth IRAs, 401ks, 403b, 457 plan. They're what's called a qualified account. And what's qualified means is whatever the IRS says. So the IRS has full control over how those accounts get used. They can tell you how much money you can put into it, when you have to take it out, how long you have to leave it in there, how much money you have to make in order to do it. And they can change that. There's no contract. They control the contract. So they can say, oh, well, if you make over 100,000, you can't do a Roth IRA and now. They can do whatever they want. Um, so you, you're completely relying on the government keeping the rules of the game fairly similar to how they are today. And there's no guarantee that they're going to do that. Yeah. So, so to go back to the three things that kind of sold me on this, just so that and you can, I want you to talk about these. So number one, the tax implications. So like the idea of a Roth IRA for those uh, listening that are unaware is Roth IRA is you're paying taxes as it goes in. So right. the idea is the end game, you don't have to pay taxes on. Well, the government caps you at $6,000, right? right? You can only put in $6,000 a year. So that growth is limited. And you obviously have to put in $6,000 for many, many dozens of years to actually see that grow to anything substantial, right? right? So there's that. So obviously what we just touched on is you can create multiple policies. You can put in as much as you want. And these are actual savings account for you. So as you grow your personal business, the beautiful thing is if you're trying to get create leverage and use it, a bank will actually recognize that that cash value. They have a percentage that they take, but like a bank actually recognizes uh, the policy to use as collateral for when you're going to try to get mortgages. So that helps. The second thing, obviously the death benefit, right? As we grow our businesses, we want to protect our family. We have offspring. Sure. We want to have, we're going to set them up if anything were to unfortunately happen to us. So there's that aspect of it. But then, you know, probably the most most crucial aspect for me and what you and I talked about before we got on the show is especially if we go to the place economically where a lot of people think we're headed. Right. I don't know that people appreciate, especially in my age group, and I don't even know that I appreciate the chances of banks turning off the spigot. So over the last 10 years, if you could fog a mirror, you could basically walk in, clean up your credit score a little bit, make a couple more bucks and qualify for whatever you wanted. Right. right? When tough economic times, and that's why I love reading and talking to more gray hair individuals or people that really, really went through 2008, 2009, right. 2010, it didn't matter if you were a AAA rated, you know, you had you had an 800 credit score and you made $150,000 a year, you struggled to get a bank to give you your fifth rental property loan. Right. And right. I, don't, I don't even know if I really appreciate that fact of how challenging it can become. And so I guess to go full circle here, and, and I want you to talk, I don't want to take the mic here too much, but, sure. but like that policy and that savings account becomes your avenue to either down payments with private lenders or buying properties outright if tough times and when tough times come and you need liquidity crunches. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I uh, I can kind of hit on the taxes and then kind of segue into the the whole liquidity crunch during tough economic times. The, the other, like you mentioned a minute ago, like if we're vying to become financially free by the time we're in our, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, it's highly uh, probable that our net worth could be in, you know, the 20 to 50 million 
million range if, if you have a variety of properties under your belt. Well, if you want to keep the gears turning perpetually into the future for your family, because really we're building wealth for ourselves, of course, but what's the point of having all of that work be done only for your kids and grandkids to start over from square one and have to reinvent the wheel? Like that'd be kind of silly, wouldn't it? Well, if your net worth is, is in that threshold, I mean, it's it's likely you could be subject to the estate tax and the inheritance tax. And then when you die, passing on that business empire to your family could suddenly become a huge taxable burden. Um, well, the death benefit of that life insurance contract goes to your family tax-free. So when the inheritance tax comes into play, when you're at the peak of your financial success, uh, where you may be subject to that inheritance tax. So not only is, is it beneficial while you're still alive in terms of income tax and capital gains tax, because you can access that cash value tax-free, but then when you die, you can leave money behind to your family tax-free to offset the impact of the inheritance tax and the estate tax. Um, because if, again, if you have a handful of properties and your net worth is in that 20, 30, 40, 50 million, 100 million range, I mean, who knows, right? You definitely want to protect that and make sure your family is able to seamlessly inherit that business without the government picking it apart and having your children and grandchildren have to basically relearn what you learned throughout your lifetime. And then when it comes to the, the liquidity situation, that's 100% one of the best reasons to even do one of these policies is we've had a 10-year bull run in the stock market. Well, a little bit more than 10 years, ever since the end of the 2008 financial crisis. And we have a whole generation of investors, the millennials, who have no idea what it's like to go through a recession. They may remember what it was like with their parents, but they were mostly teenagers or if they were in the economy, they were in their early 20s. They didn't really have skin in the game. Like when you're in your early 20s, I mean, let's be real. Most people are getting their first job. They don't have a lot of assets. They don't have a lot of money invested in stocks. They don't have properties of their own and seeing the value of those properties significantly depreciate. So the millennials don't really have a whole lot of experience what it feels like to lose everything. And when you're in that situation and you're an investor and you're trying to grow your business and stay alive, like, well, what, what do you usually do when you're trying to grow? Well, again, it's other people's money, right? You're going to the bank, you're borrowing that money to help expand and grow your business. Well, just like you said, when they turn off that spigot and they say, we're in a financial crisis, there's no more lending. We're, we're just barely, uh, we, Bank of America, we're just barely getting, we just got a bailout from the federal government. Are you kidding me? We're not going to lend you any money. You could have, like you said, an over 800 credit and be the best possible risk we could possibly have. And we're still not going to lend you money because it's too risky. We're in a recession. There's no way we can handle that. Well, where are you going to get the money? Are you going to pull it out of your 401k? Oh, by the way, your 401k is down 50% because we're in a financial crisis. Like your, your other assets are going to be depreciating as well. So you're not going to want to pull money from your stocks because those are going to be down too. And your savings, I mean, many people, they have maybe three, six months a year if they're lucky in liquid cash, but you may not want to use your savings, your your safe money, like your emergency fund for investment purposes because the, the whole point of having an emergency fund is for an emergency. Like if you're barely getting by and you need to put food on the table, you want to use the money for that, not necessarily for growing your business. So the policy cash value is perfectly positioned to be utilized in tough economic times because when you borrow against it, you're not going to the banks. You're borrowing against it directly from the insurance company. And the insurance company doesn't need collateral like the bank does. So the reason why the banks can be so discriminating is they need to find what kind of income you make or what kind of assets you own that they can go after if you default on that loan and can't repay it. Well, with the life insurance, they already have the collateral. It's your own life insurance contract that's supporting that collateral. So you can't get declined. There's literally no way you can get declined for a loan against your policy. It just doesn't work that way. So when the economy gets bad and credit dries up and you can't borrow money because nobody's lending. You're really relegated to, you know, private lenders, which may not be a bad option, but of course if you have cash value in your life insurance, you don't need private lenders. You have your own money and you can use your own money and then pay it back to yourself and your money is still earning interest and compounding and growing for you and you're able to capitalize on those deals cuz in 2008 properties were, you know, 50, 60, 70% off. They were on sale depending on your mindset. Oh my gosh, my primary residence went down by 50%. But if I have cash, I could buy two or three properties for the price of one that I could have bought in 2007 and 2006. So if you're thinking of it more of like time of opportunity rather than a time of panic and your money is positioned to take advantage of that time of opportunity, then you can really make out like a bandit and laugh all the way to the bank. So how do you know how much you can take out? Is it just what you put in or is there more?
more to it than that. Yeah, that's a really good question. So it's going to depend on how mature your policy is, like how long you've had the contract. But at any given time, you can borrow up to 90% of whatever your cash value is. So your cash value in the early years is going to largely be mostly your money. But then as you've had the policy for 5, 10, 15, 20 odd years, the combination of that cash value is going to be more heavily weighted towards the interest and dividends that it's earned from the insurance company. So like, for example, if you've paid into the policy for like, say, you know, 20, 25 years, your cash value, like you may have put in, say, 300,000 of your own money. Well, your cash value very well may be worth eight, 900,000, a million dollars by time you're 20 odd years into the contract. Well, you paid in 300 odd thousand of your money, but it may be worth like, you know, eight or nine. Well, you could borrow up to 90% of the total cash value, not just what you paid in, but all the interest that it's earned from the insurance company. But uh, in the early years, when you're just starting the policy, it's largely going to be mostly your money because it just hasn't had that much time to earn interest and grow, but it's just compound interest at work. So the longer you've had the policy, the longer time it's had to uh, compound and grow, the more of that money is going to be interest that it's earned from the insurance company. So eventually you're going to reach the point where you're getting significantly more money than you paid into it because it's that the cash value has just grown so much. For sure. And I don't think I've ever touched on this before, but like, I feel like this is a great segue to the ideal wealth journey that I think one could take to sustaining wealth. And it, it's somewhat a picture of somewhat of my life. I mean, I've done a lot of wrong as far as the wealth journey, but at the early stages, you're working in an entry-level job. Maybe you're in a career field you want, but you're still trying to work your way up into a pay scale. In my opinion, and I know obviously this is the center of this entire show, house hacking is the ideal way to get yourself to the highest levels of wealth. And I know Mike and I have a lot of friends, some of them even been on this podcast. A lot of them have started in a way of house hacking. We highlight that in the show and all that. And so house hacking does a few things. Number one, it dramatically lowers your monthly output. So, you know, instead of paying a $2,000, $3,000, $4,000 a month mortgage, depending on your situation, you might be a few hundred bucks or a thousand bucks or break even, right? Depending on the type of house hack. So, so that sets you up in regards to be able to save more money. The next one is what we talked about earlier is if you put only 3% down, you are paying for 30 years with cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And then when 2020 hits dramatically cheaper and dramatically cheaper money, if you were to buy like myself and Drew a house pre-pandemic, you are now paying back dramatically lower, cheaper dollars with our monthly payments now on those house hacks, right? So if somebody's out there listening, wanting to house hack today, that's going to be the case in five years from now, right? The saying is when the best time to buy real estate, it was always yesterday, right? It was right. always sometime, right. you know, it's always today. It's always yesterday is the best time to, to buy real estate. And so so we so we get all those things, right? So now that we've gotten into the house hacking role and, and we're, we're progressing along this wealth journey, and I'm getting somewhere because I want you to kind of chime in on this too. At first, we were trying to scrape up a couple of bucks. Drew saw me. I had a beat up cobalt. The thing was worth about 12 bucks. You know, I was scraping every penny I could, right? And then I, I started to get into this journey of house hacking, right? So you do that, right? And you're, again, I want to highlight the fact that when you're house hacking, it's kind of an all-encompassing thing. Number one, you're fighting inflation just by definition because you are putting a low percentage down in the bank is giving you the majority of the money, which is allowing you to pay with cheaper and cheaper dollars over 30 years. I can't say that enough, right? Especially in the times that we are now, that we weren't in you know, just a couple of years ago as far as with the inflation level. So there's that. Now that we've gone beyond that, now we set a little bit of a baseline. We're then going to try to get into our careers, whatever that might be. Try to get to you know the uh, upper echelon of you know eighty, ninety thousand, maybe six figure earner or whatever, maybe a couple hundred thousand, whatever that looks like for you. Get in your career, make more money, make more money. Maybe we want to become a true real estate entrepreneur like myself. Maybe you want to start a complete business and, and do a half dozen properties, a dozen properties at a time, and, and things of that nature. But there's going to become a time where earning income isn't enough to if you actually want to sustain your wealth. And so kind of uh, come full circle back to what we're talking about. And the idea of cash value life insurance, which is why it appeals to me so much, is right now, at this very moment, we have uh, seven projects going on. My monthly payroll is more than I earned my first year at one of the big automakers. And again, I, I like to highlight the fact that I started out like Drew remembers when you know I didn't, I didn't make a ton of money. I drove that beater car. I bought my first little property. So now fast forward to where I am today because of the steps that we're talking about in this wealth journey. Now, if I were to put my money into Wall Street, I would get taxed on the back end of this. Or if I didn't get taxed on the back end, I'd be capped at $6,000 that I put in a year. Now with Mike, I'm able to start these policies. People talk about the low interest rate you earn at a 
bank. You far, I mean, just 10xing, 100xing the return you're going to make by putting your money at, at Chase Bank or whatever your local credit union is. And now you're killing, again, just like house hacking, many birds at one stone. Number one, you're protecting your family. If you were to die and you build the kind of, not that I am any kind of a extraordinary real estate, but I have enough properties where if I were to die today, my wife and my child would be severely, it would take a toll on it. So you're protecting them from a life insurance perspective. Cash value, when times get tough, or if you just want to build a, a bank portfolio and you can draw at any time, it builds cash value. But the biggest thing is once you project it out over 20 or 25 years, you then get to, and you allow this thing to grow. You're still doing your active earning. You're still trying to become a six-figure producer, whether it's within your job, whether it's within real estate, whatever that is, you're going to have your active income. This is a bank account that grows exponentially and allows you to take out cash-free at the end. So it's something so powerful. It works in tandem. And like you said, that cash value life insurance, no matter when that is, that cash value you can take out, you can borrow against real estate, purchase an actual property while that same portfolio continues to grow. And it, you know, it's, it's just so powerful. So I just wanted to highlight the fact that like there is a path and a lot of our listeners are either on that path or beginning that path. And this is something that comes into play to help you sustain and help you to grow and help you to save. Yeah. It's just one of those particular tool for particular task, right? Like if, if your objective is to become financially free and have financial independence. Now, do we want to have all of our money going into cash value life insurance? Probably not, right? We don't want to have all of our money going into it, but should we have some of our money? Yeah, absolutely. Because like any good repairman, they they don't only have a hammer. You know, they have a hammer, a screwdriver. They got nails. They have a drill. They have tape measure. They got all kinds of stuff, right? They need different tools for completing different tasks. And, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. The life insurance policy is going to complement the other things that you're doing with your money. And it's also going to be able to do things that your other financial assets won't be able to do because of the favorable tax treatment that it has. For sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I just want to highlight that kind of on the wealth journey, like the place that this fits, the idea behind it, the fact that the majority of people that took the time to listen to this episode, obviously are the 10 percenters, the people that are proactively trying to get ahead in life. A lot of them are either house hacking or wanting to house hack. I think it's a, a tremendous idea, especially now in the era of inflation, just the idea behind where this fits in. I want to bring Mike on because Mike's one of the most genuine guys I know. There are a lot of oil salesman type people within the industry. Mike's not one of those guys. Mike's a guy that thoroughly understands what he's talking about, thoroughly understands macroeconomics, thoroughly understands real estate investors, thoroughly understands the place this fits within building uh, wealth. I, I really appreciate kind of highlight some of these things. Yeah. Th- thanks for the the invite there. And I appreciate the kind words that that makes me feel uh, really good about what I do for sure. I- I'll tell you, I sleep really well at night knowing every person I bring on is putting that person one higher position closer to becoming financially free. Now, I mean, when someone contributes to like an IRA or a 401k. I mean, again, not to pick on that kind of stuff any more than we already have, but if you go from, well, I'm going to put in $200 a month to $500 a month to my Roth IRA. I mean, hey, you know, you're, you're saving more money. Good for you. But but at the end of the day, you're, you really are ceding complete control of that money to somebody else and hoping that it goes well. So I know every, every single client that I bring on, I'm putting them in a position to be safer with their money, but also be have more control over their money. And that's, that's what a Americans are terrified of right now. They have no control of anything. They have no control over who becomes the president. They have no control of Congress. They have uh, no control of the Federal Reserve. They have no control whether we go to war or whether we don't go to war. Um, They have no privacy. They're being spied on all the time and they don't have any control of their money. And just one small thing that you can do to give yourself more control over your money is massive, like mentally. And once you make that mental shift in your head that like, I'm the master of my own destiny and I control my money, you can do anything. For sure. Let's pivot real quick to allow me to become devil's advocate here. I have a great respect for Dave Ramsey. I, in fact, am an um, endorsed local provider of his. But there are also a lot of things about Dave Ramsey that I, in my personal life, disagree with. So like I said, I, I do have a real great, profound respect for him. I think what he does, I think he changes a lot of people's lives. I think he probably is more genuine than the majority of national people that attempt to do financial advice. But I, I'm sure you've heard it many times. Dave Ramsey, he, he's not a cash value life insurance guy. Right. 
hates it. So what would you say to someone that's coming into the house hacking arena that maybe is more of a Dave Ramsey guy? Again, Dave Ramsey has had a great impact on my life at one point in my journey, as he probably did with many people. I'm in your boat where I think he caps people and we're we're all about breaking the cap and going sure. beyond. But term life insurance is what he promotes. Cash value life insurance is what you promote. Just Thanks. give us a little bit of a take in it from a, dab, a devil's advocate perspective yeah. on why you're a cash value life insurance guy versus somebody like Dave Ramsey. Yeah, I think that's a fair uh, a fair question to ask. I mean, there's definitely going to be some criticisms of any financial strategy. And Dave Ramsey is probably one of the most, if not the most vocal critic. I have to say that for many people, I do agree with you. I think he's probably doing more good than he has harmed. Because when you look at statistics for the average American, they spend like the average American spends more than they make. So I think Dave Ramsey is really to before you become financially free, you can't you can't be doing stuff like that. You, you can't be a slave to consumerism. Like you can't be a slave to the stuff that you own. Like you're you're just barely getting by to support your home, your fancy cars that you can't afford, your vacation home that you can't afford, and the fancy clothes that you also can't. Like I think Dave Ramsey is is helping people to understand, hey, if you only make 100 grand a year, can't spend 130. I think that's definitely helping people. But at the same time, the mindset is very, very different. People are mostly thinking like an employee when they're employing Dave Ramsey strategies, because ultimately, they have a scarcity mindset, they, they have a limited resource mindset. And that's kind of my biggest issue with Dave Ramsey is, okay, like, it's a fair point to get somebody to understand that you can't just be going into debt, to get the next smartphone or the next fancy sport car or the next trailer to go on a vacation up north. None of those things you can afford. But I think once you get past that, you've kind of graduated from Dave Ramsey University because he is mostly having you think like there's a fixed pie. Like if you only make X dollars a year, well, then you got to live like you only make X dollars a year, right? Well, like why can't we say, hey, how do I figure out how to increase my income? How do I figure out how to get off this corporate nine to five ladder? How do I figure out how to build wealth outside of having a college degree. Dave Ramsey is mostly having people take a fairly conventional path, right? Go to college, get a job, max out, not only add, but max out your 401k and then retire at 60 or 65. Very, very conventional. You know, there's nothing sexy about it. There's nothing super special about what he's saying. It's just probably the average person I think isn't really wired to become an entrepreneur. And that's not to be super critical of the average person or to say that like we're better than like a nine to five person. But I really do think that Dave Ramsey, he's trying to appeal because he has a huge massive audience. You know, millions of people listen to Dave Ramsey. So I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to give advice that are generally applicable to almost everybody who's listening. And if only let's say, let's be generous and say 10% of people are wired to become an entrepreneur and make your own way and take that risk. Well, that leaves 90% of everybody else who aren't wired that way, who would be better suited to be an employee. And again, that doesn't mean that they're bad or they're inferior. It just means that, you know, being an entrepreneur is is scary. It's risky. It can go wrong. It can blow up in your face. And a lot of people can't handle taking that kind of risk with their livelihood and their family and their money. And so I think Dave Ramsey is trying to give people the most comfortable path. And for people who want to become an entrepreneur and want to control, have as much control over their financial destiny as possible, you're going to have to do things differently that are going to work for the employee, for the person who wants to take the path of comfort and the easiest path. And if you want to take a different road, the road less traveled by, you're not only going to have to think differently, you're going to have to act differently, right? You're going to have to do different things with your money. And for the average person, for like the average American who doesn't really pay a whole lot of attention to their financial situation, maybe a 401k is the way to go for that. Who's really financially undisciplined. And if they got their paycheck, they would go blow it at the bar. Maybe they should just have automatic payroll deductions coming out of their paycheck going into a 401k because that's the only way they'll ever put any money away for their retirement. Maybe following Dave Ramsey's advice for that person is the way to go because otherwise they wouldn't do anything. So the whole strategy for using cash value life insurance is for a particular kind of person, I think. And it's for someone who takes a little bit more interest in their financial future, someone who wants to escape that corporate nine to five grind and not build somebody else's business, but build their own business. And and again, I kind of agree with you. I kind of think Dave Ramsey is mostly a genuine guy. Like he's probably not like a bad guy and wants to hurt people and screw people over. But again, you know, he does, he's trying to appeal to a wide audience and has met, uh, have sure. advice that's going to work for as many people as possible.
possible. So for the person who wants to be extraordinary, they're just going to have to put their money in different places because they're going to need to use their money for building their business. It just so happens to be, I mean, hey, if we could do that with the 401k, if we could do that with mutual funds, if we could do that with stocks and bonds or index funds or whatever, then we would. I would be talking about that. But you can't. You can't do it with that stuff. You can do it in a much better way, a much more efficient way with a life insurance policy. So I think that's kind of where the disconnect is, is most most of Dave Ramsey's audience, a little bit more handholding, I think. So kind of, I don't know, that's kind of like a long answer to your question there for like a relatively short question. What do you guys think about that? Does that kind of jive to what you guys think about it or? No, that makes sense. Like you said, I think the average person just doesn't care. They don't want to look at it. They want to see right. how much they can spend and what they can buy and just enjoy their life and whatever mm-hmm. and not think about financials. It stresses them out or it's right, just, right. it's too big of a right. task. We weren't taught it when we were young in the school system. So trying to go over there and learn something new at that point in your life might seem like a daunting task. And right. the way Dave Ramsey breaks things down is simple. And like you said, it kind of is geared towards the masses and that could be a marketing strategy from Dave Ramsey, just genuinely trying to help as many people as possible. And that's the way he sees the way to do that. Yeah. And I, and I do think as Americans, we do have a consumption mentality. If there's a new toy, buy it now, buy it today. Oh, you can't afford it. Oh, well, Hey, we can finance it for you. Um, And, and I think Dave Ramsey is doing a lot of good with that. The regular Joe Schmo is kind of in that mentality of, do I need a new car? Like, no, I really don't. The car that I have works right. It's only two years old, but the new one just came out. So I need to get that one. And it's kind of like a waste of money, but it's not going to grow your wealth. Like maybe instead of buying that new car, when your current car is only two years old, what if you just put that money somewhere else into a different pot of money that could potentially snowball to purchase your and your first investment property? You'll never know how your financial future would be different because you bought that car that you didn't need. So I think Dave Ramsey's doing a people a big favor in terms of getting out of that like rat race consumption mentality. But then at the same time, kind of like what you just mentioned, I think he's trying to appeal to the masses. And and again, not to be rude or anything, but let's be real. The, the masses aren't entrepreneurs. Like there's a reason why like most people are employees and most people work for somebody else because they don't want to take the risk. They don't want the heartache and the stress of owning your own business. And they don't want the heartache and the stress of having rental properties and, and like failing. People are terrified of failure, but they're terrified of doing something different than their family and their friends and not succeeding at it. The average person just isn't capable of doing that. And I know I'm sure Dave Ramsey knows that and he's trying to give people advice that's going to work for most people most of the time. For sure. What we wanted to highlight here was this podcast is mainly geared towards those go-getters, those that are unconventional. House hacking is an unconventional idea. Cash value life insurance can sometimes be an unconventional idea, but unconventional largely in the financial space means those that are go-getters that do something outside of the box to get themselves to the next level. And obviously there are a lot of gimmicks, but as Mike alluded to earlier, this strategy has been around over a hundred years. This isn't something new. And I think the thing that really appealed to me was again, the complexity to it, not just one or two of the things, but the multitude of being able to, number one, this is a bank account. So I can go put my money at Chase. I go put my money with Mike. Okay. So now we have those two different options. Now let's weigh them. From there, there's the death benefit that appeals to me. I I can protect my daughter and my wife if unfortunate things would happen because I am taking on extraordinary risk compared to somebody my age right now, right? Next thing, cash value. You have the liquidity to do what you want with that money as you're growing this particular fund, right? The next one being there is no limit to the amount of money you can put in, unlike your Roth IRA with Wall Street Solution. And with Wall Street Solution, I don't have access to the money while it's growing. That's a huge connection there, right? Like we're doing a similar thing. And again, this is a tax-free account. So my 401k is going to get taxed. Yes, you're probably going to get a higher rate of return. If you go in your 401k, are you accounting for the taxation that will be taken out at the end based on the fact that you might be earning a couple hundred grand a year or whatever that looks like if you stay on this grind like the three of us are to building wealth. And then the last one, I mean, obviously liquidity in the form of bank, but the liquidity during tough times. So there are going to be tough times. We might be headed, we're already in tough times economically, right? We might be headed towards even tougher times. And so having liquidity, it's such a beautiful marriage between allowing banks and private lenders. A thing that I want to touch on real quick before we wrap up, but on that path to wealth, I didn't really touch on this part. When you do a house hacking, it creates your character within investing, right? It's step one, you've done it. Now you appeal to private lenders. As you do more and more deals, you appeal more and more to private lenders. And again, I want to highlight the fact that just a few years ago, when Drew and I really started this 
journey. I came from nothing. I had nothing. Now at this point in venture, my attorney, my mortgage broker, they're they're my private lender. So when I get a deal, they will fund 100% of purchase, 100% of rehab for my projects, whether they're a flip, whether they're a rental that I'm going to keep and end up refinancing. As we head into tough times, private lenders are the ones that liquefy the market, not banks, as we alluded right. to earlier. Well, private lenders will likely become more stringent. So if you don't have a phenomenal relationship, like I have been fortunate to do with, with my lenders and maybe even my lenders, they will begin to micromanage the deals that they do at a higher level when bad economic times come. So they may end up requiring me to put 10 or 20% down on the deals that I want if and when really tough times come in the future. Cash value life insurance becomes that policy where you're continually growing wealth. We are also able to liquidate that to purchase deals, even if let's just say there are people out there like me that have private lenders that are lending on them on more than one deal, one a month or two a month or whatever that looks like. Those times might come where even those people are requiring skin in the game because of what's going on in the market, like a 2008 or whatever that looks like. So I just wanted, I didn't actually add that part. I thought about it, but yeah, I didn't actually, that's important. Uh, I didn't actually talk about that to where even if those times come and you're using private lending, which is outside the banking institution, even though they've turned out the spigot, maybe the private lenders haven't, maybe they require skin in the game too at that point. But that's where this cash value, and that's why I brought you on because those type of things, as you go, you progress through your, your wealth journey and you get to the next level and you get to the next level, it's no longer a one-dimensional or two-dimensional game. It might be a four or five or a six-dimensional game. And this is a, a pillar, in my opinion, of that three or four or five-dimensional game of, of wealth building. For sure. Yeah, that, that's definitely a, a really astute point. And when it comes to the private lenders, you may rely on them a little bit more during a financial crisis. Um, but because you have that cash value in your policy, maybe if they request more of a down payment or they request maybe more ownership stake or a higher interest rate, you have more of your own money to fall back on. Okay, well, if you want me to put you know 10% down, well, hey, I'll just borrow that 10% against my life insurance and then I can still get the deal to work. But if they request you to put 10% down and you don't have that 10%, well, guess what? Somebody else is going to get that deal and then they're going to propel ahead of you. And Because it's a competitive space, right? Like real estate investors, you're not the only guy in the town, right? There's other people that are doing it and you want to get you want to get the deal before somebody else does. So you can grow your wealth for your own family. I mean, there's going to be more than one buyer. And if everybody else is priced out because interest rates are too high or they, they have all their money tied up in their deals and all their money tied up in the stock market, you're going to be the only person who's going to be able to capitalize on those buying opportunities. You're going to be able to double, triple, or quadruple your business just because you have access to money. For sure. And to back up to like what Brad was saying about house hacking and getting started to build that reputation and the track record is what's so cool about it and why I'm so passionate about it is the fact that you can just be completely average, low income. It doesn't matter. Like that's where I started, right? Like I didn't have a high income or anything. I was able to get into a house hack and it just completely changed everything. And people are completely turning around their lives financially by getting into these house hacks and they're able to do this with lower incomes because of the low down payments, down payment assistance programs, things like that. They get into a house hack, they do another one in a year or two, they do another one in a year or two. All of a sudden you got three rental properties and there's your track record to get private lending. And you pair that with a life insurance policy that you're teaching us about. And in the span of three to five years, you just completely flipped your life around. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, like, and this is the other thing about the Dave Ramsey way is Dave Ramsey will say it takes discipline. It takes long term 20, 25, 30 years for you to become a millionaire when you want to retire a millionaire, right? Well, it can happen a lot faster than you think. If you have your money in the right places and you have the right mindset, the, the entrepreneur mindset, it might not really take that long to become financially free. Like you just mentioned about house hacking, like that can be your first step into the space that opens up a whole window of different opportunities that you never would have had if you thought like, if you had that nine to five employee mindset, oh, and I'll just max out my 401k mindset and then I'll retire at 60 or 65, you're, you're cutting yourself short. There's money out there. There is. There, there's success out there. You just got to go grab it by the horns and chase after it, right? So yeah, I think that's a, a really good way to look at it is um, it does take time to build, but it might not take as much time as you think. And house hacking sure. itself really doesn't take out that much time. You have to find some tenants and after that, that's about it. You might have some repairs to the property, stuff like that, but it's not the most time consuming thing in the world. So you're able to do that with a nine to five. And there's going to sure. be a lot of people, I think, that might not necessarily be trying to just, you know, take the jump and quit the nine to five, but just trying to build wealth on the side. And the right. cool thing is like, you can kind of cater the strategy to yourself. And if you want to keep building wealth, so you have more options uh, within the nine to five life, that's also a possibility for you. So you can kind of keep things simple. We had uh, Scott Trench on the show. And one of the things that really surprised me about him was, I think he said he had like six properties and I was expecting 
him to have like a hundred properties, something crazy. And he's poured most of his equity or most of his money back into building bigger pockets. That's always an option. You can pour it, go back into your career, keep building on your career and invest on the side. And you can still do all these things because it's not going to be super time consuming and getting a life insurance policy is going to take no time. Right. Yeah. All you got to do is have a heartbeat and not have a terminal illness, of course. (laughs) But yeah, I I know we've went a little bit over uh, the time we wanted to, but I just want to encourage people that have listened this long into the podcast. I mean, Mike's a personal friend of mine. I believe in what he's doing. I believe in the authenticity that he provides. I believe in the knowledge that he has. He's not just somebody that talks about this. He is somebody that actually does it himself, thoroughly understands it, thoroughly explains it, but then understands the reason behind it, not just as some kind of gimmick, but as an actual wealth building tool and as an actual pillar of someone becoming a decamillionaire or whatever it is that somebody has ambition out there to do. Maybe you were like me and you only thought maybe one day I'll be able in my 60s, I'll have a million dollars. I think we can all get there together. And I know that we can all get there together. And I think people like Mike have the ability to help propel us there. So if you're out there, if you have any questions about it, Mike's going to fill you in with some contact details, but reach out to him. Like I said, Mike can help out anyone throughout the country. At the very least, he'd be willing to just answer some questions for you and you can start to think about the concept. But Mike, what's a good way for people to reach out to you and just inquire a little bit more about the concept? Yeah, the best way would be through social media like Instagram, TikTok, or Facebook. I'm tax-free Mike on every platform. I largely use social media. It's a great free marketing platform. The the beautiful thing about social media is it is pretty, it can be strict. Yes, there's some censorship. You got to be careful about certain things that you say. But at the end of the day, it is a completely free marketing platform that connects you with literally every single American in the country. So my biggest presence is, uh, you know, TikTok and Instagram. So the best way to get a hold of me is just follow me on TikTok, Instagram, or Facebook, uh, Tax Free Mike. And of course, you can send me direct messages on my Instagram and my TikTok. I have a calendar link on my profile description. You can click on my calendar link and set up a meeting with me if you're pretty convinced and you're like, you know what? I've heard everything I need to hear. I I just need to have a conversation with this guy. Follow me on TikTok or Instagram, whichever platform you prefer, and then click on my calendar link and you can just set up a meeting with me and we'll do a video chat and you know talk a little bit about your situation. Awesome. What we'll do is we'll put that in the description. All the all the social media handles, we'll put the calendar link in there too. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'm going to go click on it myself and uh, schedule a call with you. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. I I did follow you on TikTok too. I don't know if uh, if, uh, that that was a couple days ago, but uh, I'll have to watch some of your house hacking videos because that's something that I'm pretty interested in myself. I I definitely want to get a little bit more into real estate because I got a handful of clients who do it. I don't really have a whole lot. Obviously I'm a homeowner, but I haven't really dabbled a whole lot in real estate investing myself. So I definitely, I appreciate you guys having me on and sharing your knowledge and expertise because it's, it's for sure something that I will implement with my family, with my money, because it's real estate is with life insurance is probably the most powerful financial combination that you can possibly do. And by the way, I just want to do a little side note here. I have a little underground mastermind oh, right, yeah. in, in the town that Mike and I live in. And For tax-free problems. Mike, tax-free Mike is the most popular individual in that underground mastermind. So, <laughs> so listen, for if for no other reason, you send him a DM because tax-free Mike is a badass. That is a good enough reason. All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll take, I'll take my uh, stripes when I get them. So yeah, yeah, definitely. The mastermind is a good group though. It's, it's yeah. fun. Cool. Well, uh, I appreciate you coming on Mike. I really do. And um, awesome. I appreciate our friendship and I'm sure that this episode will help a lot of individuals at the very least open their eyes to some concepts. And like I said earlier, I think there is a proven step to a path to wealth. And we kind of outlined it a little bit today and set for life. Scott Trench, Drew mentioned Scott Trench earlier. Set for life was a book that I read early on in my career. I suppose. But I think a lot of the concepts of, of that book and what we talk about on this podcast highlight today. And I think this concept can benefit a lot of people, whether it's now, whether it's in the future, but it is a pillar and it is a way to grow wealth and it is a way to set yourself up for uh, success long-term. So uh, Mike, I appreciate you coming up. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me guys. It was it was a pleasure. I'm glad we were able to get connected and it uh, worked out kind of last minute, but it, it was great. Everything fell into place. It's almost like this <laughs> was right. meant to happen. That's right. All right, brother. You have a good night. Cool. All right. Catch you later, guys. See ya. That's the end of the podcast. You are amazing for listening to the whole thing. Thank you so much. Don't forget to go grab your free copy of the House Hacking Blueprint. You can download it in the podcast description link, or if you text House Hack, all one word, to 22828. Thanks again. I hope you have an amazing day.